the title of my sermon today is, Why Did He Have to Die? Why Did He Have to Die? Um, years ago, I remember hearing a story once of a crusade that was happening or um, in another country, a third world country. I believe it was Africa, if I remember right. Um, and they were in a place where people had never heard the gospel of Jesus. And they were showing a film about Jesus' life and eventually his death and his resurrection. And as the people who had never heard the story watched, their hearts were so moved as they saw this Jesus, the savior of the world. As they saw the way that he lived, as they saw the way that he touched the untouchables and he loved the unlovables and he healed the sick and he opened blind eyes and they became so passionate about this Jesus that they were first hearing about as they watched this film. And then all of a sudden the film gets to the part where Jesus is crucified and men in the crowd who had guns began to shoot at the film, at the screen because they did not understand why did this savior have to die? They were so angry because they saw this man who loved like someone who had never loved before and there were people shouting crucify him and they did not understand why did he have to die? I think to answer that question, we have to take a look back. And so I wanna to read to you first um, from the New Living Translation, Romans 5.12, and it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And I want to take just a moment to go back to the garden of when God created man. And I love when we, how we get to look at creation because when we look at creation, we get to see God. We get to see the nature of God. So God creates the world. He speaks it into existence, the sky that we see. But then he creates man. And there's something different about when he creates man. He places his hands on man. He forms them with his very hands, and then the Bible says that he breathes his breath of life into them. See, the stars in the sky, as beautiful as they are, he could just speak and create them. But when it came to man, we see God's nature because he comes close to them. He puts his hand on them, and he breathes his very breath into them. And then he gives them a gift of one another. And then he places them in this beautiful garden where they have everything they need. The Bible says within that garden there were fruit trees, and within that fruit were seeds so that they would always have more than enough. They would never have to worry about having enough. There would never be starvation in the world because there was always going to be enough. He gives them authority and purpose. He, within that garden, after he puts them in it, he says, tend and keep this garden. I'm giving you something beautiful, and I want you to tend and keep it. And then he gives them purpose. He says, I created all these things. Now, Adam, I give them to you. I give authority to you. You name them. You use your creativity and give them a name. And he gives them boundaries, trust, and he gives them choice. That's God. Isn't he amazing? 
Don't you just see the nature of God when you take a good look at his creation? He surrounds them with beauty. He knows people love beautiful things. There's four rivers in that garden. I wonder what they were like. And, and then the day comes where Adam and Eve take that opportunity or make a choice. God gave them a choice, and they eat from the tree, the one tree they were told not to eat from. They ate of it, and sin enters the world. And before that happens, the Bible actually says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no such thing as shame before they ate of that tree. But all of a sudden, after they ate of it, they were now ashamed. And so they go and they sew together fig leaves, right, to try to cover their bodies and their shame. But the fig leaves only cover their body. They can't take away their shame. I heard it said once that trying to cover our own failure is like trying to reach the stars on a stepladder. We just can't do it. We can't cover up our own failure. We needed a Messiah. We needed Jesus to come and to die for us so he could take away the sins of the world. Can you say amen? So God sacrifices an animal, and there's the first shedding of blood, and he covers them with animal skins. And he promises that there's going to come a Messiah. And 700 years before the, Maca- the Messiah comes, I almost said Micaiah, that's my son's name. He's not the Messiah. He's great, though. Uh, about 700 years before the Messiah comes, there's a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, two prophecies, actually. The first is in Isaiah 7, where he announces the birth of the Savior and says, The virgin shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And then there's another prophecy This prophecy has always moved me. It's in Isaiah 53, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Within that prophecy, he tells us about the sufferings of Jesus. And what I love about it is it's the only place that I'm aware of in the Bible where we actually really can come to understand what his suffering did for us. Like each part of his suffering, what did it actually provide for us. And I want to take some time tonight, just a little time, to go through these things that Jesus did for us one at a time. And I just pray, would you lean in with me as we talk about this? Would you just lean in? Maybe you're tired and you had a long day at work, but it is my heart's cry and my heart's desire that we waste not one drop of Jesus's holy blood. Amen. I don't want to waste one drop of his blood. I want us to know every single thing that was purchased for us and made available to us by his suffering. Don't you? Amen. So I'm going to start at the, I'll just read to you Isaiah 53 brief. I'll go through it quickly and then we'll go by step by step. So Isaiah 53 verses three through six. This is the NASB. I think it's going to be up there. So it says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. You know, that is so powerful, but until we actually take a really deep look, which we're going to do tonight, we don't really get what he did. I hope that tonight we really get it. The first words that I want to look at are, he was despised and he was rejected. How many of you know that there's a lot of people on this earth that at some time in their life they have dealt with rejection? They have felt rejected, and they have tried to become something that is lovable, something that is acceptable, something that people want to be around, someone people want to be around. But how many of you know from this, Jesus carried rejection on his body. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. I no longer struggled with rejection. There was a time that I did not know my value but I know who I am now. I know that I'm valuable. I don't have to ever try to be somebody that I'm not again. I can be me and know I'm fully embraced. I am who he says I am, amen. I can do what he says I can do because he took rejection for me. And so when we look at rejection, you know, the first thing that came to me was Peter. Because before Jesus died, the Lord said to him, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter thought, no, 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 no. I would never deny you. He loved Jesus. But how many of you know when the time came, he did deny Jesus. Three times he said, I do not know him. In the middle of Jesus' suffering, one of his best friends said, I do not know him. And yes, that was rejection. But I I believe the ultimate rejection that was upon Jesus that he carried for us was when we hear him cry at the end of his crucifixion, what does he say? What does he say? Eli, Eli. I can't pronounce it right, so I'm not going to try. But he said, Lord, Lord, why have thou forsaken me? He felt rejected. He was rejected by the Father because when sin was upon him, when all of our sin, all of our filth, the worst thing that we could have ever done in our lives was upon the body of Jesus, the Lord, the Father God of all creation, his Father who he was always united with, had to turn and look away. And it broke Jesus' heart. He experienced rejection so that we could be accepted. Amen. We're accepted because he was rejected. The next thing is our griefs. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, it says, Our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Griefs actually means, it's the Hebrew, Hebrew noun, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I believe it's chol, C-H-O-L. And it actually means sickness. It means disease. It means anxiety. It means affliction. It means illness. All of our, do you see the word here? Our griefs. Our griefs. 
our sorrows. All of the sadness in the world was upon Jesus. All of the sickness in the world, all of the anxiety of the world was upon Jesus. And so if it was upon him, it means that I can cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. Have you guys heard that before in the Bible? And it's like, how do we do that? If I were carrying a weight, I asked my husband if I should do this. And he said, I think if you talk about it, it's enough of an illustration. But, and I might have looked funny in here trying to carry all my son's weights. I thought about it. Probably couldn't have picked them all up. But if you could imagine me carrying, you know, those big weights that they put on the long bar and I was carrying them and my husband said to me honey I will carry those weights and I handed them to him those weights would now be on him he would be carrying my weight would I be carrying it any longer no I would have given it to my husband. And likewise, Jesus died and he carried our sorrows. And that is why in the middle of heartache, and yes, our hearts are going to hurt sometimes. And we're going to grieve sometimes. And we're going to go through tribulation. We're going to go through hard things. But we don't, the Bible says we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve differently. Our lives are different because we have a Savior who carried it on his own body. So I can give it to him. You can give it to him. And when you do that, you are honoring his blood. You're making use of what he did for you. So if I could beg you tonight, do not try to carry the sorrows of the world on your own body. It will make you sick and oppressed. Your body was not made for it, but Jesus' body carried it. Amen. He carried it for us. The next it says he was smitten of God. That word smitten, it means he was punished. He was punished by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions or some translations. That word wounded is pierced. It's talking about the nails that went through his wrist and went through his feet. He was pierced. For our transgressions, that word transgressions is again the Hebrew word P-E-C-H-A, pesha. And it means rebellion. Our rebellion was upon him. Amen. It was upon him. He carried it so that we could be free from rebellion. We are able to submit to God now. We're able to come to him and obey him. And we have what it takes to obey him because he broke the power of rebellion's grip over us. Amen. It no longer has dominion over me. I'm free to live a life without rebellion. And guess what? If I rebel, I can run into the arms of mercy and I can find forgiveness and grace because he carried my rebellion. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The next one, it says that he was bruised or beaten for our iniquities. That word iniquities is pronounced awan, spelled avon, A-V-O-N, and it actually means crookedness, like when someone takes the wrong path, perverseness, guilt, and punishment. It actually denotes both the deed and the consequences of the deed. So when you go the wrong way, when you make a crooked turn and you're like, why 
did I do that? And then in turn, you feel guilt because you did that. Jesus paid for both of those things. He paid for the action and the feeling that accompanied the action. Amen. You know, when he went before Pilate, Pilate actually answered and he said, I found no guilt in him. Jesus was holy. He was without guilt. The guilt that was upon him was my guilt. It was your guilt. It was our guilt. It was upon the body of Jesus. I can remember talking to a lady one day and just counseling her. I don't even remember what she did, but she had done something that she just felt so sad about. She was mad at herself and angry at herself, and she could not forgive herself. And out of my mouth came the words just from the Holy Spirit, stop beating yourself up. Jesus was beaten for you so you don't have to beat yourself up. And do you know that's exactly what this says? He was beaten so that we don't have to beat ourselves up. So when we fall, we can shake it off and we can have godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, right? And we can run to Jesus, which is what repentance is. It's turning and going the other way. And we could say, God, forgive me. And then you don't have to stay in the ashes. You get to know that you're guilt-free. Amen? And it's because he was beaten. I want to read to you the price of what that it did because I want to tell you, sometimes people think things that Jesus paid for are actually unattainable. And I really don't like that. I don't want you to ever think that the things that Jesus paid for are unattainable. Sometimes we believe a lie that we'll always live in shame. We'll always have to wrestle with this shame. We'll always have to wrestle with guilt. We'll always just be sinners. We'll always just, no, that is not the truth. That is not what Jesus says. That is not what is spoken in the scripture. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so the truth is, I can tell you honestly, I do not struggle with shame. Have I been ashamed of the way I've acted? Absolutely. I've got attitude with my husband and then been like, baby, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And I've had to go to Jesus and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive. But do you know that the moment, I'm telling you, the moment that I go and I ask for forgiveness, I'm done with it. I don't just stay in it. Why would I? He paid for it. Amen. So you can forgive yourself because he forgave you. And to say, I can't forgive myself is to say his blood was not enough. And that, my friends, is a lie. His blood was enough. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to read to you um, from Mark 15, verses 16 through 20. This is the account of Jesus being beaten for our iniquity. Got to find it first. It says this. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and they called out an entire regiment. Say it, an entire regiment. I don't know how big an entire regiment is, but it's not only a couple of men. It had to be a lot of men. They called out an entire regiment, and they dressed him, they dressed Jesus in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown like the one you'll see on the cross when you walk out the door. And they put it on his head. 
I didn't, they didn't do it lightly, guys. When, when Ginger and I were hanging that crown, I kept saying to her, Ginger didn't, I kept saying, be careful. With, it's really, it's thorns, and it will hurt you. Please be careful. I don't want you to cut your finger. Listen, they didn't gently place that crown on our Jesus' head. They beat it. What, you, see, you read these accounts, and you'll see it says that with a reed, they beat the crown into his head. They beat his head. The Bible says that he was marred more than any man. He was actually unrecognizable after what he went through for us. He was beaten so that we do not have to be beaten. It says that they wove those thorn branches into a crown and they put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him. They beat him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him. They dropped to their knees in mock worship. And when they were finally tired, this is a regiment of men beating him until they were tired. Can you imagine what Jesus must have looked like? I cannot imagine what Jesus, well, guys, when I was studying this, I was so humbled. I was so broken. When just to look and to see this is what Jesus did for us. Let's never take it lightly. Let's never take lightly the suffering of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when they were finally tired, of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. And that's what he did for us. And we go on and it says, the chastisement for our well-being or peace, for our peace, was upon him. I had to look up the word chastisement. I wasn't sure exactly what it meant. And when I looked it up, it was so interesting. I mean, I knew, like, sometimes they stop chastising your brother. I mean, I don't use that word. I say leave him alone. But, you know, people maybe with a great vocabulary might say stop chastising your sibling. But that word chastisement, it's punishment, but it's not just any punishment. It's vocal punishment. It's oral. It's words. It's talking about the words that they spoke and they made fun of Jesus and they shouted crucify him. And that there's another part in here where it says, maybe I should read that to you. I should. It's Mark 15 again. And it's verses 29 through 31. It says the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. And they said, ha, look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, save yourself and come down from that cross. And the leading priests and the teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the king of Israel, come down from that cross so we can see it and believe it. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. That is what he did so that we could be free of all of the words that try to hover over our minds and tell us who we are not or who we are. He was rejected, and he was broken with words so that we can know we are accepted, we are loved, we belong, we have peace, we are sons, we are daughters, so that we can know who we are. That's why he was chastised. It was for our well-being on the inside, for us to walk in a place of peace. You know, before Jesus went to the cross, there's that 
um, account where Jesus serves the disciples. And I loved it. I never noticed it until recently. I was reading it. And right before he served them, the Bible says that Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, but it says knowing who he was. Jesus knew who he was. You know, when they went to the garden to arrest him, I just saw this again, maybe for, it felt like for the first time anyways. When they went to the garden to arrest him and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he answered with the words, I am he. And the Bible says that they all fell backwards. I am he. And they fell backwards. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. He is the living God, the Savior of the world. He knew who he was, but yet they came to him and they said, if you are who you say you are, come down from that cross. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, if you really are this person, then you should be doing that? Has the enemy ever spoken to you and said, if you really are who you say you are, then you should, listen, Jesus took that on himself so that we could know who we are. By his sacrifice, we were made children of God. We were adopted into the very family of God. We are no longer orphans. I am a daughter, amen? You are a daughter, you are a son, you belong, and it came at a great price. Can you say amen? Are you guys getting this? Are you receiving this? I pray, like I said, that we never waste one drop of his blood. But as we're living life and we go through tribulation and days come that are hard and words come at us, I pray today, Lord, hear my prayer, that we remember these accounts, that we remember what he did. And because of his sacrifice, we know that we have the power to live in freedom and in victory. Amen. And the last one says, and by his stripes, we are healed. That's the whipping, the lead tip whip. Do you know what the Bible says right before he was whipped? It said that Pilate, to appease the crowd, had him whipped. It was to appease, isn't that something, to appease the crowd, to make them happy, go ahead and beat Jesus. To make the crowd happy. I don't know for sure, I don't know if anyone knows for sure, but they say that Roman uh, whippings which should not exceed 40 whips, so maybe around 39 times with a lead-tipped whip. I'm sure Jesus' body, can you imagine what it would have looked like? I can barely imagine what it would have looked like after Jesus did that. And that word healed actually means whole. We were made whole. Jesus died and he suffered so that we could be whole. Another word for that whole actually says we were made fresh. Doesn't it just sound like being born again? We are born again. We could have lived, you know, you look at me now and you, who knows what you think about me now, but, but if you looked at me then, if you looked at me then, you would have seen that I was once a girl who truly had no, I had worth, but I didn't know I had worth. I lived like I had no worth, but that is no longer who I am. I've been born again. I've been made fresh. I've been made whole. And if he did it for me, he will do it for you. Amen. He makes us whole. What a wonderful God we serve. Why don't you stand up with me?
Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us.